if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are going to finish up the book today in Thessalonians. Uh, just so you know where we're headed, we are uh, next week going to be celebrating Palm Sunday, and then we'll have Easter Sunday uh, in here, and then uh, from there we'll, we will be doing a study on the Ten Commandments, uh, just so you know where we're headed and what we are doing. Well, if you are like me or like most people, you desire, you desire evidence that God is working in your life or you desire evidence that he's doing something in your life. Uh, a lot of times something will happen in your life and you are maybe met with the question, uh, maybe threefold. You'll say, was this God? Um, was this the devil? Or was this just because of my sinful mistakes? I'll often wonder, I want evidence. What are the facts? I want to I know for certain, was this God or was this just me being a bonehead? Uh, I can look back on my own life. If I, uh, when I was in high school, I broke my, uh, my wrist. I was leaving myself with the question, did God make me break my wrist? Was it the devil or was it I just tackled the wrong player at the wrong time and God does not really care? Uh, on Friday, I, w- I was in uh, New York uh, snowboarding at Holiday Valley. I'm not a good snowboarder. I've went maybe six times in my life, uh, and I was going down the hill, and I wish the story was like I you know, hit a 20-foot jump. I tried a triple backflip. Bam, landed on my head. No, I was going down the hill. I fell flat on my face. I nailed my shoulder, and I was like, I mean, it's, it's just killing me. I mean, it just hurts. And I'm like, was that God? Did the devil throw a rock and make me fall down? Did God, you know, push me down to prevent me from a further? accident? Who's involved in all that? And, and does it really matter? Does it really matter? In your life, hopefully, you're asking, man, is God working in my life? When something is hurting in your life, maybe a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, uh, maybe in your school, something is difficult, hopefully you'd want to know, is that evidence that God is working? Or on the flip side, if things are going really, really well, I mean, if everything is up and to the right, your finances up and to the right, your business, your relationships, your marriage, is that evidence that God is working? How? How do you know for certain when God is doing something? When you see pictures like the next slide where there is evidence that construction is taking place, when you see that, you are certain, hey, something's going on. Something's going on. Whether it is for good or for bad, something's taking place. Kind of like if you're driving around green recently, uh, they're doing about 19 roundabouts that take about six years to complete one, and and your patience is required to discern, man, uh, uh, is this for good? I think it's for good, but we'll find out in 2030 once they complete all of them, this was good. It takes time, but hopefully, hopefully it is worth it. Well, as we wrap up this letter today in Thessalonians and in our uh, Upside Down series, I'll be, I'll be completely honest, when uh, Pastor Butch had given the passages out and he had said who's preaching where and when, I got this one, and it is extremely short. And I looked at him, I walked by his office, I said, hey, what do you want me to talk about for 30 minutes? I mean, there's not much there. And he looked at me, he's like, Really? He's like, you don't think there's a lot there, Michael? And so uh, I stand corrected. There's a lot here, and I'm very, very thankful uh, to be teaching this passage here t- today. And it's extremely short. Uh, doesn't, uh, if you just glance at it in your Bible, uh, quick five verses, and you're like, man, I don't know if there is a lot there. But I truly think there is. And I'm using this overarching title for us today of evidence of God working. Evidence that God is working. The first 
point that I'm going to pull out is it's difficult, but it's necessary. Paul starts this portion of the passage or finishes up in verse 23. He says this, if you'd pull it up, 23 to 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, if it's not there, that's totally fine. I guess not. We'll just keep rolling with it. Anyway, in your Bible it says this. Now may the God of peace, hey, there it is, God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. There is a lot that's going on there in those two verses. But here's something I would like to point out. Evidence that God is working in your life. It is difficult. There are tough things that are taking place in your life, but it is necessary. And here is what he says when he says he himself will sanctify you completely. He is personalizing what God is doing in your life. And sanctifying or uh, sanctification is just a big church word that we use or that the Bible uses is that God is continually continually growing you and changing you. That hopefully, hopefully, five years ago, if you accepted Christ, that today you would be a different person. That people would be able to say, man, there has been some life change in her life. There has been some life change in his life. Not, not that they are perfect, but that they are growing. It is evidence. And when he says spirit, soul, and body, the spirit that you and I have, you cannot see. You can see it working out, but our spirit, part of ourself, is the most unique part about us and how we communicate to God. Your soul uh, would be the part that they would say is your personality. You can see uh, evidence of someone's soul, but you cannot see your own soul. It's not something you can touch. And then he says your body, your physical body. Paul is saying the entire person of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body, God will bring to completion what he is doing in your life. He wants to affect our whole body, our whole person, our whole spirit, and our whole soul. And he is faithful. That God will surely do it. There are three things I would like to say real quick about this. The first one is this. God offers peace, offers peace when I am anxious. I love how he points out that God is peace or the God of peace, that God brings peace to us when we are anxious. And most of us would be able to uh, categorize the feeling of anxiety, the feeling that that what it feels like. But often how anxiety plays itself out is what? Uh, We become or or we put ourselves in a position to where we believe that God is not uh, out for our best, but rather he's out for the worst, that he's always out to teach you a lesson. If you are anxious, you are uh, pretty pessimistic. The glass is always half full. Uh, It's always gonna be terrible. Uh, They're never gonna come through. You don't believe the best about God or other people. You what? You believe the worst. You're anxious. You'll always say, I don't wanna do this one thing because this might happen or this might happen. So you paralyze yourself. Paul says, the God of peace now offers this, that he offers peace to us. And number two, God is faithful when I am not. It says in 2 Timothy uh, 2.13, it says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That God is faithful. It is part of his character and who he is. 
despite when you feel, and, and the reason he's saying this is because uh, these believers in Thessalonians, they would be believing that they are not going to make it to the time when Jesus comes back. That they're just going to fall off the map, they're going to fall away from Christ. They would see themselves in the mirror and say, I'm just not going to make it. Paul is saying this, God is faithful, he will surely do it. God does not back out of a deal he made on the cross with you. And thirdly is this, that God is more committed to our progress than we are. God is committed to our progress. He is committed, and uh, we've been talking about this idea in our men's study on Thursday nights, that you and I, you and I, every single person across the board, you are a work in progress. That you will take what? One step forward, and then what? Two steps back. Maybe you'll take one step forward, you'll take three steps back. Maybe you'll take a step to the side, you'll take a step to, and, and you would say, man, and even, here's what's crazy about God and awesome about God. He's more committed to your progress than you are, and he doesn't give up like you give up. He doesn't give up on you for who you are in Christ. He does not pull back. It says in uh, Philippians 1, 6, it says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is working a good work in you, that you are hopefully a work in progress if you are seeking for evidence that God is doing something in your life. Spirit, soul, and body, you have to ask, despite how difficult it is, despite how difficult it is, how necessary is this? How necessary is this? Would you pull up the previous slide of God, of God offers peace, uh, God, is, yeah, God is faithful. He, here's what I'd like to point out about this. When he says now the God, it, the God of peace, you gotta remember this. Satan is always at work and he is a counterfeit. Anytime God does something, Satan will do the exact opposite in trying to counterfeit God. When God tries to build something, Satan will try to tear it down. So when God uh, creates marriage and how it should look, what Satan will do is he'll try to tear marriage down. When uh, God creates family and what he wants family to look like, what does Satan do? He will try to tear it down and take it apart. When God is trying to build the church, what does Satan do? You get the idea. He's trying to tear it down. He's always active in these things against God. So I have to ask myself the question, when I am anxious, when I am not faithful, and when I want to maybe give up or I don't feel like I'm progressing or I feel like I'm the only one, who is the one at work in those things? Is it my sin or is it the devil trying to get me off track? Is, is he the one that's taking place? And I have to say, I want to make progress. I want to make progress. But people rarely, rarely will make progress alone. Rarely. It is extremely difficult to make progress or to be sanctified or to grow more like Christ. I, I would say there are probably three primary ways that God will grow us. I think the first one is pretty obvious. He, he will do it through his word. If, if you hear a, a sermon or a verse or you come across a post where a verse just jumps off the page and you're like, how did they know? It's God using his word to correct us. I think, as most of you would know in this room, I think he uses people or relationships. He'll use your marriage just to show you, you're like, ah, I'm not a good person. He will show you through other people, man, this is difficult, but it's necessary. And the third thing I think he will use is experiences. Maybe a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship. He'll, he'll allow something difficult, but it's necessary. And his ultimate goal is not that God is taking something from you, but rather what? He wants to give something for you. 
He has something involved in that. The God of peace and God who is faithful, he will surely do it. God doesn't give up on you like you do, and God doesn't give up on someone who he died for. He is constantly working in and through us. Number two, the evidence of God working in us, and I'm going to skip verse 25 and go right to 26. You benefit from the contact of others. Uh, what, what a verse. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I mean, what in the world? So I was, uh, this, co- this shows up five times throughout the Bible. They talk about a holy kiss. And I was uh, my first year in Bible college, and I was sitting in the class of Romans. Tom Davis, phenomenal professor, uh, was talking about this idea of a holy kiss. And raise your hand, how many of you have ever played What Are the Chances? Just played the game. What are the chances? Yeah, a few of you. Love the game. Made tons of terrible decisions in college with that game. But anyway, my friend Nick uh, said, hey, Mike, what are the chances you go up and give Tom Davis a holy kiss? I'm like, oh, dude, come on, 1 in 20. He's like, no, 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 1 in 10, 1 in 10. So uh, you pick a number between 1 and 10. I think I picked, I think if I remember, 6. And you go, you know, you count on the 3, 2, 1. You say your number. And I was like, 6. And he guessed the number. So what did I have to do? I had to go give my 65-year-old professor a holy kiss. Now, uh, to demonstrate what a holy kiss is, I asked my wife just to help me out uh, because I'm not giving any of you a holy kiss. Hope if you would stand up just for us to see. A holy kiss is if you go to Italy, if you go to Argentina, if you go to Mazatlan, when you get off, what do they do? They will kiss each other on the, on the cheek. Now, if any of you give my wife a holy kiss... I will probably hurt you. I'll be offended. I'll, I mean, we don't, we don't do that here. But a, a kiss always communicates something, doesn't it? A kiss always communicates something. If I kiss my wife, really, like that, yeah, woo, you're loud, yeah. We're allowed to kiss each other. That, that communicates something with her. I've always wanted to kiss her in a sermon. That's why I did that. Anyway, thank you, Hope. Uh, a kiss always communicates something, and... Um, in this, and, and here's what you need to know, it is cultural, uh, it is during this time, they would say, give a holy kiss. For us, a better translation would say, hey, give them a good handshake. Give them a good hug. Give them, have some kind of contact with them or tell them I said hi or communicate with them. And some of you, you'd remember, I mean, if you've been at a wedding where the pastor is doing the wedding, he tells the, the groomsmen to, to kiss the bride and they give just like this weak little kiss. And you're like, and the pastor's like, Really? That, that's all you got? You're like, kiss her. And he's like, okay. And it, because it communicates something. And he is saying, and I don't want to over-spiritualize the verse, but I do want to say, he is saying, have contact with them. That communicate with them. See them. Tell them I said hi. He says in 2 Corinthians and other letters, hey, I wish to see you face to face. I wish to be with you. And as I said, a kiss always communicates something. It's in Luke 7, uh, 45 to 47. He said this to the disciples, you gave me no kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, I'm not promoting we start kissing feet around here. I I hate feet. I have a fetish of feet. I don't like feet. But he is saying in this time, that someone kissing the feet of Jesus, he looks at the disciples and he says, she hasn't stopped. It's communicating an expression of her love for him. It was physical. It was touching. I mean, when we touch someone or we shake someone's hand, it is something that we benefit from. 
And I mean, you would know, when we were shut down, you can't see anyone, everything's on a Zoom call, everything's six feet, everything's masked up, you are, you're struggling. Some of you, I mean, it, it really was a struggle. I mean, and when my daughter was born, what was one of the first things they said we had to do? Skin to skin. That was my favorite part. I was like, hope I'm up. Skin to skin, that a baby does not develop how they should unless there is physical contact. It's a way that they connect with their parents. It truly is. And for us, I'm not promoting we go around and start holy kissing at Maranatha. But I do believe we should ask the question, do, how do I benefit from the contact of others? In my, in my small group or in a uh, mentor or in meeting with someone, I need some type of physical contact. And I already know I'm preaching the choir. You're like, I, I'm here. I'm physical. We're, we're here. We see people. And in our day, it is more of asking myself the question, what does, what do, what does my kiss or physical expression communicate? What does it communicate to, to Christ, if, he said, if he's looking at the physical expression of this woman and he's saying, look how much she has loved me. Look how much she, I mean, she has been forgiven much and she loves much. Those of you who are forgiven little, you love little. It's, it's easy to see. He's saying it's an expression. It is shown. And then on the flip side in Luke 22, Jesus, he was speaking and a crowd came up to him and a man who was called Judas was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I mean, how, how drastic of a difference. A kiss or physical expression communicates something. How I express myself to God communicates something. If I'm a stiff board, that communicates something. I'm not involved. If I'm just, I'm not, I'm not engaged. It's not affecting me. When you are affected spiritually, it brings out some type of expression, whether verbally or physically. It is, it is changing the direction. And Paul says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And it says holy. It's not passionate. It's not fleshly. We're not going around starting holy kisses at Maranatha. Everybody kissing everybody. I mean, that would be weird. But I want to ask myself the question, evidence of God working in my life is contact with other people. And number three, evidence of God working in my life is it's never, ever without his word or his grace. And this one could seem redundant, but I think there's a lot here for us to see. He said, I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he says, I put you under an oath. What you need to remember is during this day, uh, they would not have the Bible. They just didn't have it. It wasn't there for them. I mean, they may have had a copy through a family member or at the church, or they didn't even have a New Testament, so maybe the first five books of the Bible. So what they would do is, when you came to church, what it would look like, someone would stand up and just read the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. It says in verse 19, don't despise the prophecies. That's what it means, that God's word being proclaimed. They would show up, he said, I put you under an oath, make sure you're reading the Bible when you come together. That, it is, that if you want evidence of God working in your life, it is never without his word. It truly is. And I know, I know, what the devil would like you to believe, and I, and I think this is, is so huge, he would like you to believe you can't read it, you can't understand it, it's not for you, and just let the pastor, let, let Mike, let Bruce, let them guys tell you what it says, and, and, and you don't need to worry about it. I believe in some way, if you want evidence of God working in your life, you need to consume in some way. 
whether it's an audio, whether it's a podcast, whether it's listening, whether it's reading a verse a day, you can read the Bible. You can. You, I mean, you can read it. Like, believe that. Like, it is easy. If it's just a verse a day, something that you would consume. Because it says in the Bible that the word of God is what? Living and active. It affects my life. Some days, even when I don't want to read it, I'm not really about it, I'm not feeling it, I still read it. And then there are other days, it's like God jumps out of the pages and he speaks to me. He says, I put you under an oath. Make sure that you're in God's word. Make sure you're reading God's word. And then he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So I want to talk about the grace of God just for a second. You and I, um, whether we understand it or not, we are, a, we are addicted to God's grace and we cannot survive without it. Whether we realize it or not, everything we have, everything we do is either common grace from God. So I got the shoes on my feet, uh, the car in the parking lot, the house down the road, the relationships I have, what the air I breathe is the grace of God. Without God actively allowing those things to take place, it says in Matthew, he causes the rain to come down on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everything I have is the grace of God. And the longer that you are a part of this thing in Christianity and church and all this stuff we're doing, the more, hopefully the more you become aware to it, the more you see it, more people will start to ask, what happened? It was just the grace of God. How did you accomplish this or do this? The more you will start to realize it's not any skill you had to offer, any, you know, wit you had or any experience you had or any opportunity you had. You would just say, it's just the grace of God. It is truly an IV that is set up in your life to God. You can't live without it. Paul says in Romans 5.20, it says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That the more I was sinning toward God, he just offered more and more grace. He just started to dump it out on our life. In Ephesians 1, one of my favorites says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. The word lavished is just like the word or the idea of when uh, you have a birthday party or Christmas and you're eating a piece of cake that is from grandma and it's just so much sugar, you thought she put 20 pounds in one slice and you can't eat it all. You're sick after about half of it and you're like, did anyone finish that? No, it was just too much. I couldn't eat it. It's the same idea when it comes to lavish and God's grace. It's too much. You just can't, you can't consume it all. He lavished it on our lives in Christ. And just like I was saying a minute ago, the older you get and the more you start to follow Christ, the more you realize that you need his grace. And that is just what the Apostle Paul does in his writings. In Galatians 1, 15, he says this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his, what's it say? Grace. 1 Corinthians 15, later on, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. In one of his last letters, he said this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If you want evidence that God is working in your life, you would say, I'm in the word of God, and I can see the grace of God. The more you're aware of, no one, no one would have saved me like God did. 
No one would have protected me or given me providence like God did. No one would have kept me from harm's way like God did. No one would have allowed me to experience this type of life apart from God. I wouldn't have known God. I wouldn't have followed God. I wouldn't have had these types of people around me. The older Paul got, he just said, I'm the chief of sinners, and it's the grace of God. It is all I have and all I have to offer. If we're looking for evidence, it's in the word of God and it's in the grace of God. And lastly, back up to verse 25. Evidence of God working in your life. You depend on the prayers of others. He says, brothers, pray for us. Such a simple statement that he would make. Brothers, pray for us. Fifteen times in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he says the word brothers. Fifteen times. He uses family language. Brothers. Family, brothers, he's, he's relying on this and he's saying, pray for us. Well, why would the Apostle Paul need their prayers? It says in Acts 17, as he is uh, writing this letter and he's referring back to, it says in Acts 17, 13, he is agitating and stirring up crowds. So he's kind of under some heat. He's kind of doing some things he shouldn't do from a culture's perspective, but he's following after God. He's trying to advance the gospel and he says, we are depending on, on your prayers. We need your prayers. And the the first question this causes me to ask is this. What kind of prayers are you asking for? What type of prayers are you seeking for? And I'm not making any jabs at anyone because I know about six people in this room that have said this. But eventually we have to get past my dog is sick prayer requests. I like dogs, I grew up with dogs. We got we had eight of them in our house, I think, growing up. Dogs are great, but eventually you gotta say, what are the prayer requests that I'm asking for? Does, and here's the second one, does the life I'm living require the prayers of others? Do I even need them? Do I need the prayers of others, or am I, am I pretty okay without them? Are the, the prayers of others just something that, I, I really, the life I'm in and the life I'm living is not something that I depend on. I don't really need them. I don't really, uh, I mean, the life I'm living or the, the trying to share with someone or trying to be bold, I, I don't need anyone's prayer requests and I don't really pray for anyone else. It says in the Bible to pray at all times, or Bruce said last week, pray without ceasing. And it says in Isaiah that God would set up watchmen in Isaiah 62 to, uh, to bother him in a sense. He said that they, he set up watchmen to pray and it says that they would give me no rest until I established Jerusalem. He set up people to pray so that they would bother him until God would do what they would ask. That pray, what is this prayer he's talking about? And I'm gonna ask the band to come up and what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. Pretty, pretty crazy, huh? It says this in Matthew 21. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables and money chargers or changers and he seated those who sold pigeons and he said, them to, he said this to them, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. That if you come to church and you don't connect with God, we've totally missed it. If you connect with the speaker if you connect with the certain worship singer, if you connect with the person to your left or your right, we would say that is good. But if you didn't connect with God, we've totally blown it. We've totally missed the agenda of the house of God. Jesus said in John 2, my house shall be a house of prayer. That you would pray to God, that you would take a second and petition God. 
And it says, brothers, pray for us. And I would assume, I would assume some of you need prayer here today. So we're, what we're going to do is we're just going to take some time to pray. And if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me, it talks about in the Bible, the posture of prayer. Sometimes it says we lift our eyes to heaven. Sometimes we bow our heads. Sometimes we lift our hands. Sometimes we are on our knees. Whatever posture you feel necessary today. If you are in this room and you would say, I am, I am struggling. I am discouraged physically, emotionally, spiritually. Something is just not going well for me. And I am requesting that someone would pray for me. Would you just stand right where you're at? God, we pray for those who are standing. Lord, we ask that you would comfort them. Whatever requests are on their hearts, their minds, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would comfort in a supernatural way. Would you meet them right where they are as they petition to you, God? We ask that you would answer only the way that you can. You can take a seat. If you are here today and you would say, I need help in my prayer life. It says in Colossians that we would struggle in prayer, that we would work in prayer, that we would be known as being a people of prayer. And you would just say, hey, I, I don't pray much. And really, I, I don't think I can. I struggle with it. Would you just stand right where you're at? And I want to pray for you and your prayer life. God, I pray for those who are standing and they want to be more active in prayer. They want to be growing in their prayer life, in their communication to you, in their petitioning to you. I ask that you would help them, help me, help us, that we would be known as a people who pray, that we would pray for others and request others to pray for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. You can take a seat. Lord, we ask you to minister to us and through us. Would you help us to see evidence of you working in our life? God, would we understand how you're working in our life and how you're trying to get our attention? Would you give us the wisdom to see if it's Satan trying to get us us off track, if it's you trying to get our attention, or if it's just our flesh? And God, if there's anyone in here today and they've never accepted Christ as Savior, all of this, they feel like they're on the outside looking in, I pray they would cry out to you, that they would admit that they're a sinner and that you would come into their life and they'd put their faith and trust in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.